COVID-19. We must continue to wash our hands regularly using water and soap or sanitizer. Visit kayafm.co.today for regular COVID-19 updates. Good evening and welcome to the Law Report. My name is Michael Matuning. Bill, it's good to be with you this Wednesday evening. We have two shows um, prepared for you this evening. And the last thing, I want to start with the last thing because I, I really want you to start preparing to phone. And let's have a chat about um, on lockdown. What's happening with the laws around lockdown? Are, are they working? Are they rational? And we're going to be talking about a judgment that came out in the High Court um, in Gauteng Division in Pretoria dealing with some of the uh, criticism against some of the lockdown regulation so that's what we're going to be talking about in the second half of the show so i look forward to engaging with you let's 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 talk about how this has actually impacted your life and whether it's been good or whether it's been bad i look forward to engaging with you on that one but for the first part we're talking about something that we obviously can't ignore something that's happening in the u.s and across uh, several states we're seeing violence erupt and all of which is prompted by the murder as it seems um of george floyd and um and 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 you know there's one camp that is obviously repulsed by what is happening but there's another camp that is saying but hang on if you have a legitimate protest why burn shops why burn um uh, you know you know cars uh, why vandalize why you know why criminality is, is sinking in and that's something that i think you know we we kind of have been talking about for a very long time um both in south africa police brutality we have a cause case just here at home and uh, obviously they have George Floyd, but all of it happening to a specific group of people, and that is black people. And we asked the question, why is that happening? That's tonight on The Law Report. Know your rights. Know the law. The Law Report with Michael Matuning Bill. Let me introduce my first guest. He's joining me on the line, uh, Brooks uh, Spector. He's an associate editor at the Daily Maverick, but also the f- uh, former American diplomat. Uh, Brooks, uh, thank you so much for talking to me. Are you well? Good evening. I'm I'm pretty good. I I wear a mask. I sanitize. I wash my hands 42 times a day. I do whatever I'm told. The, the paranoia. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of eased down. So I'm, I'm also going, you know, my on my daily practices, I'm going on level uh, three because at some point I didn't even want to touch anybody or anything. Even, you know, like you kissing your kids at home was, was a very difficult thing. But you kind of go, all right, maybe I can kiss my own kids. And uh, yeah, so I'm glad you're doing, I'm glad you're doing well. Developments no, no, are happening. We're, we're- Mm-hmm. We're good. We're over seventy, but we're being careful, and we're doing. You know, this is nothing to be sneezed at. Uh, <laughs> that was a bad joke, wasn't it? Oh gosh, I didn't even mean that. Um, but uh, you know, enough of this. Um, I mean, yes, of course, uh, the lockdown here has been uh, draconian, and you're going to talk about that with other people later on this evening. Um, but uh, it was. It was almost guilty feeling to go out and uh, <laughs> just go out home during the day. I, I mean, I mean, let me. I mean, I, I, I've been looking at other, you know, lockdowns in other countries. But do you not also think that different countries call for different responses? So, I guess in other countries. Um, you can say um, that please uh, police yourself, and um, and in other countries you probably need the the help of of the army, um, and 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 maybe just a, a quick demonstration. Um, if you look at even lockdown here, 
uh, in Johannesburg, because that's my reference point. What you see in um, in one neighborhood is very different from what you see in other neighborhoods. Other people with more resources were, were able to um, adhere to some of the regulations, but other people with lesser means, uh, less uh, availability to internet and entertainment, couldn't actually be at home with less groceries. Couldn't be at home, and typically it is in townships. So I think, I think you know, it's it's I I I, I hear your point that it was draconian, but I'm just wondering if. If it was really without merit, but anyway, that's not why you and I are talking. We're talking for. No, no, I've, I've, I've sidetracked you, haven't I? I? I like it. I mean, because I think the the you, you open it well, and I think I'm going to put that to my listeners about the draconian manner in which um, uh, you say it was implemented here. But let's talk about why we we talking. I mean, uh, police brutality is is. Uh, something that Tupac Shakur was singing about or rapping about many years ago. And you would think that with all of the um, progress since, I mean, uh, when he was making that song, he didn't even think that he'd have a black president that runs for two terms. He didn't think that America would be what it ultimately became. And yet the issue of police brutality targeting um, minorities who for the most part, happen to be black, so therefore targeting black people um, is still something that persists. What is it about the foundation and the architecture of American society that allows and permits such a thing to happen? Well, you, you gave me an opening. I cannot turn, turn away. You, uh, I guess Tupac never listened to the Brenda Fossey tune, did he? <laughs> you with me on that, yes? Which which Brenda Fassi one? Because I mean Brenda, the the one the the, the most political that I remember Brenda Fassi was um, uh, uh, when she was celebrating the release of Mandela. But talk to me I about your recollection. Yeah. Uh, the the one that I remember remember best is my black president. Indeed. Uh, which I can't sing, but never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the 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 question of of police responses to. Uh, demonstrations that slide into civil disobedience, that slide into violent protests, that, that slide ultimately into rioting and pillaging. This, you know, this is a real. Uh, this is a. This is a knot that police forces uh, in the United States wrestle with. Uh, not always successfully, obviously. I mean, the last week has has demonstrated their, their inability in many cities to make the distinctions or to help people in neighborhoods who who clearly would like to keep the distinction clear mm-hmm. uh, from things getting out of hand. And uh, we know, uh, at least by rumor, that there were any number of individuals who were trying to create violence or chaos or, or um, uh, leading behavior. But the question of, of the right to assemble and therefore the right to protest and therefore the right to have demonstrations is one of those things that in, the, in an abstract way is enshrined in the American Constitution and everybody is supposed to be able to feel the right to do that. Mm. Now the question then becomes, what happens when some people decide to do something else, break a, break a shop window, steal stuff, set fire to a police uh, office, et cetera, et cetera, 
then it becomes more complicated, and now you you send in the police tactical control units, and if they can't control the situation, quote unquote, uh, then at some point uh, the discussion becomes: should the national guard, which is the uh, essentially a reserve component of the army but under the control of the various state governors and that's where it now becomes really complex because they are after all a military force Indeed. and the the laws of the united states are very very uh restricted on the way in which the military can be used to control the population mm. um because I mean, it's it's it, it's even the same here. the The idea of the military is not it's to protect the country, not to be in the country doing what uh, law and normal law enforcement in the shape of the police should be doing. So it it sort of cuts across. You 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 you're supposed to protect borders and outward, not international threats, not not its own people. Having said that, though, and I, I you know a bit of. Uh, self history. I was in. I was in the National Guard in the 1970s while I was still in university, because otherwise I would have been drafted into the regular army. It's a long story. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of one of the that was during the Vietnam War. So I figured, you know, yeah. yeah. I, I, when you say that, I was thinking Muhammad Ali, and yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, about the same time. Basically. I know. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. And one of the things in the in the wake of the killings at Kent State University in 1970, we had an additional week of training that was tacked onto our basic training, which was anti-riot control tactics. Yes. Um, and, and, and funny enough, what you're speaking about is, is, is on a documentary that's currently on Netflix on, on Vietnam. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, you, you would ex- see that there. Yeah. Um, that whole series, the Ken Burns series. Mm-hmm. Um, now the, the the problem was at Kent at Kent State University in 1970 they sent in the National Guard. It was a rash and foolish decision by almost any calculation, and the National Guard, which was basically people from the same town, more you know more mm-hmm. or less, um, had no had had no riot control training, and somebody issued them live ammunition, and then they were truly off to the races, and you know things got out of. Move very quickly out of out of uh, uh, demonstration control into uh, killing and wounding students. And but, but, but I mean, it, 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 isn't it that that sort of got a, a lot of publicity and criticism, and and it was widespread, and because the race of those students was not black, and I think that the the reaction tends to be um, a little bit more. Um, I guess highlighted when, or a, l- a little bit less highlighted if it's black uh, people, um, because we can talk about. I mean, that stands out about that the, the, the death. If I remember correctly, the number was two students. Four but, uh, students. Four students. So, so, so I can, and, and I'm sure we can think of riots where a greater number of 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 of, stu- of, of black people have died and and didn't quite receive the same spotlight. Well, no, that's also, well, I was going to add that 10 days after Kent State, at another university, Jackson State University in Alabama, um, a similar set of circumstances happened, and two students were killed, and um, those two students never, uh, the the fact of their deaths never quite uh, made the the headlines the way the first event did. Mm. Um, And 
for some of the reasons that you and I are talking about. Um, the, but to, to get us back to the present, um, th there have been some extraordinarily poor decisions that have been made um, in Washington, D.C. itself, uh, in a um, in an area around the White House. The White House is located in downtown in the city, and although there's a, there's a high perimeter fence, uh, you can walk around it, and there is a large open space right across the street, and it has been the scene of demonstrations Oh, probably back 150, yep. 200 years. Uh, even uh, even uh, uh, Martin Luther King, doctor, he, oh, he yeah, gave no, one of his true. famous speech there. What is it about? I, 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 and I'm not sure if, if it's even fair to ask if this is an issue of the American in, uh, architecture or, or generally just the world architecture that seems to put minorities the vulnerable and who in most instances i mean in south africa it's not an issue of minorities right because black people are in in the main uh, in the majority but the there's something as well that comes with economic power um people who are of lesser means are just far greater far more vulnerable in this country because i'm pretty sure what happened in mr Koza's house in 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 um in, in, in Alexandra would not happen to another black man in a house with a house in Houghton. So what, what is it about our sort of global infrastructure as, as a people that allows for these things to happen? No, I think you're, I, I think you're right. There is a disparity. Uh, in the last couple of days, uh, there's been a lot of commentary in America's media about a study that was done three, four years ago by a Harvard professor, Thomas Freyer, uh, who is just because it, it's probably relevant mm. uh, a black man who grew up poor uh, and um, lived in a in, in in poor circumstances, obviously in Florida. But what he did was he and his research team they looked at something like fifteen hundred arrests, and their conclusion was interesting. Mm. and important, and it sort of went against the conventional wisdom um, that once arrested, uh, black men and white men largely had the same rate of death at the hands of police. Now, you know, that's an odd thing to have to notice, but it does happen, obviously. What they did discover, however, was that black men tended to be arrested or or uh, bothered by or interrogated by police much more frequently for the same thing than white men. So that once you were actually uh, under uh, custody, the chances of you dying were not appreciably different, but the chances of you getting under custody in the first place was higher if you were black. And that goes right to the heart of your power uh, differential question. And I think it is probably clear enough for, to most people that forces of the police, even if they're trained in human relations techniques and even if they have gone through all kinds of training programs about uh, dealing with um, people of different backgrounds uh, with respect and so forth, um, there is almost certainly 
going to be more likelihood that they will stop people on the road and say, hey, where are you going? What are you doing? Come yeah. over here. We need, to, we need to check you out. And then once you're in the police van, then other things might well happen. Um, and you brought up Mr. Collins Cosa, and I, I, I think he felt victim along with, uh, what is it now, a, a body count of 12 other people in this country mm -hmm. during the lockdown the lockdown, the shutdown, um, and I think their stories would be rather similar. But what I think happened in the case of George Floyd in particular, there was that undercurrent of um, a feeling of not full citizenship, an undercurrent of uh, generations of being under suspicion, but remember, the country has, in most ways, in many cities all across the country, been under a lockdown for, for months as well. Mm. And there have been all kinds of people who have been locked in their apartments and haven't been able to do much. And they've lost their jobs. They're unemployed. They're also quite angry. Now we're, we're heading into the summer season. People really want to get out of their houses but they don't really have anything they can do. And so all these frustrations come together. Then you have one man who on national television effectively, because some brave person videoed the entire event with their cell phone, uh, it is now extremely clear to anybody who has not been locked in a cave for the last two weeks just exactly what happened on that street in Minneapolis. Let me let me take a break, and when we come back, I look forward to you know just exploring this question in 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 far greater depth, um, and and maybe we can have a chat before we close, and you know towards half past about whether there's sort of a solution in sight because it does get tiring, and I thought I thought that you know perhaps outside of the issues of you know lockdown and unemployment. There was actually just a frustration because this is not the first incident. There's been literally, um, even when you just tune into the um, uh, American channels, you can just see the conversation is about racial profiling. It's about um, uh, bias arrest against black people. It's about black people dying at the hands of the police and police police brutality. So it's a it's a sort of a a, a very a live conversation in the U.S. And I just want to, you know, at, at some point get to the question whether there's an end in sight. I'm going to take a break. And when we come back, I'll continue my, my chat talking to uh, my guest, Brooks Spector. I love my city. I am Afropolitan. Afropolitan. Kai FM 95.9. Welcome back. Uh, continue my discussion talking to Brooke Spector as well as uh, Professor Veronica Appleton. And we're talking about um, some of the developments that are unavoidably um, warranting some kind of a, a discussion and something of an in-depth discussion because, you know, I don't want my kids to be having the same conversation um, uh, concerned about the fact that, you know, they, they can't go to certain parts of the world because they might be profiled and they might have to um, encounter racism. In fact, I would much prefer um, a world where they don't, uh, you know, they are not racist towards anybody, but also they don't receive, uh, they're not on the receiving end of, of racism. And I think that um, hopefully, you know, we can sort of have some exchanges that get us somewhere 
where you know 10 years from now this is not an issue we we all we all are kumbaya as it were but that's what we're doing for now later on in 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 10 minutes or so we're going to be talking about the um, regulations that have been um, uh, declared to be irrational by the High Court pertaining to the Disaster Management Act and that's some of the things that have been keeping us in lockdown where we couldn't um, move as we wanted and I just want to get some feedback from you. You know, how has that affected you? Do you think that the ends justified the means? Do you think that um, you know, the government reacted well and uh, rationally and in our interest essentially? But also, you know, the other view is that you know, with the benefit of hindsight, it's very easy to to say they should have done this and the other. But but maybe placing yourself at that point where you're thinking, I'm going to lock the country and I'm going to lock everybody in the house. Maybe that could have been a good idea. And maybe we'll talk about whether, you know, the law and sort of a, a retrospect, you know, a rear view mirror introspection on the law versus real time law writing and how that plays out. So that's what we're talking about um, in the second part. I continue my discussion talking to Brooke Spector as well as uh, Professor Appleton. Professor, let's see the line and let's check if the line is better now. Can you hear me fine? I can hear you fine now. That is fantastic. I can hear you fine as well. Now, let me just ask, you know, a very sort of painful question and, and, and we've obviously covered a lot of ground so I won't uh, start with my elementary question. I'll just go really to the heart of it. Um, with all of the things that are happening, is there is there an end in sight for you know man and man to love each other? You know, to quote Martin Luther King, um, for you know uh, for his for for my black child to be sitting on on one table of brotherhood with a white child. You know, I think Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said it best in his 1968 60 Minutes interview where a riot is the cry of the unheard, right? It's the cry of voices that have been silenced for over 400 years. Um, The riot, the protests, it's the only way that people can express themselves in these times of need. And, And so I think the only meeting place for men to men, woman to woman, children to children, change makers to change makers can actually coexist and operate in a system that supports one another mm. that not only says we're created equal, but we're treated equal. That's the only way that we're going to be able to make a solution um, kind of mature from these situations, right? I think that once we really understand that public outcry is when people are going to really get it. (laughs) They're going to understand that whether you're in Johannesburg or you're in a small community in Chicago or you're in Amsterdam or you're in Paris, you get it because that public outcry is that cry for help. Do you see me? Do you hear my voice? Let's connect let's really make some real changes. So only until people really hear those voices is when that real end in sight is going to be near. And and, 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 and when we talk about that end in sight, I think it's it's sort of a, a broad question because on the one hand, the issues of police brutality, um, uh, biased imprisonment of black people, Etc. Those are the things that are dominating the discourse in the United States, and by given its global impact across the globe. But but and I, and I get a sense that 
it occupies this debate occupies a space that should really be be at the center stage which is the you know economic disadvantages that black black people in america find themselves in because i think that's sort of the ultimate question when you walk even the streets of say new york you do sense that and and as a black person going to a country like that you are very conscious and very aware of the racial dynamics in part because of our own history in south africa but you do kind of see that black people are in the periphery of the american economy and that's not even a debate that present because you've got this thing that just it dominates movies, dominates, I mean, all, you know, I, I, I could almost say all, a good majority of movies that are even been made that we are seeing on this end of the world talk about this. I mean, we talk about the, uh, uh, how they see us, uh, various projects are underway, just trying to highlight this problem. And, and I get the sense that it, 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 this problem is dominating and taking away the, other discussions that are supposed to be ultimately bridging this gap where, like you say, do you see me, do you hear me, but you ain't got money. Yes, you know, I think that um, this idea of kind of getting to that meeting place and and I need these economic resources, I think they're one and the same. Mm -hmm. When you see all of those voices globally out there marching and protesting and even rioting, that's symbolic of all the things that the communities that have suffered for so long, what they need. They need economic mobility. They need to have uh, uh, voter support, right? So when we think about suppressing the black vote, when we think about suppressing the vote that truly matters, right? Yesterday was a pivotal day in many states within the United States, right? June 2nd was a day where states could have gone out to vote that included South Carolina, that included Indiana. I could go on and on of states where their voice matters. But because yesterday was a day where we blacked out, where we silenced some of our voices, right? We need to hear our voices. We need to hear some of the solutions. We need to talk about where to support black businesses. We need to support um, where we can go and, and support where to eat where to live, where to drink, all of these basic necessities, that's what we need to focus on. Where to read, right? I mean, I've had several people kind of reach out to me, all nationalities, of what should I be reading right now? And I think as an educator, it is my responsibility to share what we should be reading, but also what should we be talking about, right? When we think of after you've read that book, the next step is action. Mm. I need you to go out and support that black business. I need you to go out and, and make sure that your children play with children that are unlike them. Because that's the only way that we're able to create a world that is full of what we've been discussing, right? It's kind of that happy place, that place where we can all evolve and coexist at the same time. And I think that there's... And, and is that, I mean, I mean, what, what you're saying is, is no different from what was being said in 1960. Um, and probably even long before that, um, even, you know, during times of segregation um, in, 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 in your country. Are we making progress? Because, and, and, I, and, and, and Brooks, I'd like y your take on this as well. When I saw the protests that, um, the more recent ones, 
there was something that really stood out as being different, and I could be wrong, but has been different relative to other protests. Other protests have been, you know, even when you think about the early days of Black Lives Matter, Matter, it's been black dominated, and I and I couldn't find and I couldn't conclude um, in in these protests that it it, it had any it had a racial. Um, uh, uh, you know, you could box it in a, in in, so, in sort of racial terms. It just seemed as if America is in protest and America is 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 united. And and I earlier asked, and that when we conclude, we should probably ask the question: Is there is there hope? Would I be reading too much to say the 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 uh, composition of the protesters in terms of race is that is in and of itself? a sign of hope? Well, I, I tend to look uh, at this television screen and the photographs and the comments from friends and very much the same kind of question crosses my mind. And I think you're right that the the ethnic compositions, or the racial composition, say, of the marches and protests over the last five or six days have clearly changed, in part because they've moved out of particular neighborhoods and into the larger common space of of the various cities mm. it seems to me mm. and that it it has become so well so visible that people who feel a sense of well we must fix something uh have come from all quarters one other thing i would notice is that it's not only the young i saw people there who very clearly look about my age mm. in some of these marches uh, as well, and a friend of mine wrote back and uh, from one of the smaller towns, and he, he described something of the same thing. If I could just sort of offer a little personal vignette. Years ago when I was working in Washington, and I think this will bear on our conversation and your final question, too, um, one of my supervisors, one of the, the men I was working for at the time in our office, uh, was a very distinguished uh, diplomat, scholar of Chinese literature uh, and various other languages. Um, his his ethnic background was he was African American, and we once went to a reception together in Washington. Washington always has these receptions for various kinds of activities, and George found himself on the other side of the reception buffet table. And since we're all wearing dark suits because it's a formal kind, they're not tuxedos, but you know, we look businesslike. Um, he looked at me and I looked at him and suddenly he looked and realized that he was on the same side as the waiters. And it occurred to him at that moment, you could see it go across his face, that people were going to naturally assume that he was one of the waiters. Hmm. Now here was a guy who had a PhD in Chinese literature and very clearly had not been a waiter for quite a while, if ever. And two observations there. One, there was in the back of his mind this question of what would happen when someone hands him a plate and says, I'll have more of that roast beef, please. On the other hand, um, he had reached that particular level in the American Foreign Service where he was highly respected by all who knew him in the U.S. and abroad. So... Some things change, but that that shadow of doubt and confusion was obviously still in his mind. Mm. 
and that you know that was that was a fascinating but sad moment because I could read his facial expression as well. I could see exactly what happened in his mind. And, but but, uh, I, but I think I mean you know that uh, that that happens uh, often. And and what I would say as a black person is that if somebody assumes um, I'm a waiter, it doesn't say it doesn't take away my PhD. And to be associated with another um, black waiter is is all good by me. And I think that um, you know the 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 and and even this crisis that we are currently in now where we ask ourselves who are the essential service providers. It mm. turns out it's, it's, it's not me. I'm a lawyer by day. Sure. It's, it's not me. It's actually the person that puts the food on my plate because the person that I can't do without. And those are really have been, you know, the heroes of, of, of the world, I guess. And, and maybe if I can also just put the same question uh, to you in closing, uh, Professor Appleton, is there an end inside? Is there something to be gleaned from this that says, maybe there's hope. Maybe, maybe my, my seven-year-old kid, when he turns 17 and he has a full view of what the world is about, amongst the many things he'll have to worry about, race won't be one of them. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, kind of going back to your earlier point about the composition of these protests, right, that's a clear sign of change, mm. right? That's a clear sign that these issues do not only matter to blacks, but they matter to all people. 100%. Because what we saw take place in Minnesota toward George Floyd, that was a very inhumane act. And people are paying attention and they're focusing. And of course, there are several other people that are out there and they're protesting for all the wrong reasons and they're rioting for all the wrong reasons, but that's what we can't focus on. What we have to focus on is the clear numbers. Mm -hmm. The people are out there and they're fighting and they're crying and they're wanting the uh, support and they're wanting the injustice to stop. And so when we think about children in the future, I do believe that parents need to do several things. And some of those things that come to mind include providing opportunities to engage and discuss race and racial equity with your children. Show your children examples of what positive and negative law enforcement looks like. Show them images. Um, and of course, you know, this is at your comfort level, right? So then you also have to check yourself first before you have these conversations with your children. Mm -hmm. Are you ready to have these conversations? Because if you're not ready, you definitely cannot speak to your child just yet. And I think that that kind of hits you in the door, right? You kind of check your biases. You check your, your uh, thoughts that you may have about certain racial groups. And you check yourself at the door. Make sure that you are prepared to educate your children. And one other final tip I think is very important is understanding how these things can transpire into the future. Because if you do not take the opportunity to tell your child now, or to tell any children that you have responsibility over, even if you're an educator, if you do not take the opportunity to educate now, imagine what can take place in the future. And, and, and that's a very good point, because sometimes I think when you teach your child racism, you think that it's the, the power lies with in the hands of the racist and particularly in the context of of south africa where things are changing rapidly i mean i don't think mm -hmm. that you know there's a lot of countries where one can talk about change um at the same rate as as in south africa and sometimes i feel sorry for the child that's going to be racist in 2040 
uh, or 2050 for that matter, because because they it's going to be a very lonely world when everybody is is learning and is embracing everybody to be racist at a certain time. I hope the world has evolved to a point where there isn't room for that. But let me thank both my guests, Brooke Spector. It's been lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the Law Report. I think we should do this a lot more. I, it was a pleasure, and I think maybe as the as the trial proceeds uh, for uh, George Floyd's uh, killer or accomplices, maybe we can have this conversation again. Wouldn't that be something? I'd, I appreciate that. Veronica uh, Appleton, she's a professor in uh, intercultural communication. Thank you so much, Professor. Thank you. I greatly appreciate it. All right. We're going to take a break. And when I come back, we're talking about this judgment that's been delivered by the um, High Court, uh, the Davis J, um, High Court in Pretoria. And that is pertaining to an application that was brought against the Minister of Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs um, by a few uh, applicants, amongst them uh, Reino David Abir. Um, and essentially they are saying, um, actually, there's something wrong with the regulations. That's what we're talking about.